Luke 18, verse 35 through 43. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, um, we come to you together, corporately now, asking that you would bless us, God, that we would cry out to you, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us, that you would meet us where we are as a ministry, as a people, as young adults who long to know you and make you known. God, would you teach us tonight God, would we see the grand scope of your redemption, your sovereign plan to redeem us as a people to yourself. God, to the praise of your glorious name. So God, be with us now as we worship you in spirit and truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How long is a moment? It could be defined in a variety of different ways. It has throughout history. How long is a moment? Just 100 years ago, it was considered 60 seconds. Back in the medieval era, it was considered 90 seconds. Some define it as just a mere thought, and if that's the case, then it's less than 150 milliseconds. Some say it's as long as you can keep a memory short term. And so you want to define it that way. Our short-term memory uh, is at most 30 seconds. How long is a moment? Regardless of how you define it, God is sovereign over every moment throughout all of history. He is in control over every moment of your life. And I don't shrink from saying that because what if he wasn't? What God would he be? If there was one moment that was out of his control, the house of cards would fall in on itself. No, he is sovereign over every moment throughout all of history. And we will learn together what a few moments at the end of the book of Ruth add up to. They are the moments of truth at the end of Ruth. That's tonight's sermon title. Moments of truth at the end of Ruth. So one last time, if you have your Bibles, let's look together at Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. 
as we close out our sermon series through the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. God's word says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us now, that God, with our fallen and very limited minds, we would be able to grasp grasp so much as we can the scope of your sovereign plan for our redemption through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us be with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I want to give you five Moments of truth at the end of Ruth. Five moments of truth at the end of Ruth. This is not a comprehensive list of all the biblical truths we could find from this passage. This is just five key truths that I think we can take away from the moments depicted in this text. The first moment of truth, God creates life. God creates life. Look again at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. God has a long history of opening wombs and bringing about life in a way that only he can. Last week, we saw where the elders prayed for Ruth, that she would be a mother much like that of Rachel and Leah, the two matriarchs of the people of Israel. Now, those two women from Israel's history had had trouble conceiving. 
Uh, there's a passage that tells us about that. That's Genesis 29, verses 31 through 35, which say this. When the Lord Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. That's a passage I would love to preach in and of itself. I love that passage. But that sermon will have to wait another time. Just note how God opened Leah's womb while keeping Rachel barren. He would later give Rachel children as well. But what I love about this passage is Leah's spiritual development over time as revealed by what she says about her sons. You see, she's in a polygamous marriage and she's lonely. All she wants is for her husband to show her attention and affection. And hey, that's not too much to ask of one's husband. Eventually, she has to reckon with the fact that her husband doesn't love her quite as much as he loves Rachel. So one child after another. She has hope that maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that will force my husband to take notice of me. And with, after each child, that hope grows dimmer and dimmer. And then eventually she has Judah. She says, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. She gives up on hoping for a man and instead chooses to praise the Lord. Now there's some of us in this room that need to hear that message tonight. What took Leah four births in at least a few years, we could learn in a moment. But that's another sermon. What we need to see is how God creates life. Many of you heard a message I preached at the beginning of this year looking at Hannah. Hannah was barren, and she was in a polygamous marriage. Uh, her husband did pay her some attention and did provide for her to be able to go to make a, a double portion offering to the Lord at the temple one day. And on that day, she asked the Lord to do something that only he could do. Baron Hannah goes to the temple and asks the Lord to give her a son. And she, alongside that, she makes a vow. If you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And he does. He gives her a son. And she does give him back to the Lord. 
That is the story of Samuel. And oddly enough, if you look at your Bibles, Ruth 4 is one page away from 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah's story is depicted. It's interesting. And of course, we as Christians believe in the virgin birth, that it is at the core of what we believe about Jesus Christ, not a secondary or tertiary matter. It is a primary matter. What is more miraculous in terms of childbirth than a woman conceiving a child without sexual intercourse? We believe that Jesus, his birth was the result of the Holy Spirit working within Mary's body so that the virgin birth circumvented the transmission of a sinful nature and allowed for our eternal God to become perfect human. Miraculous. Praise God. The word took on flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate it every year at Christmas. We have a God who makes it his business to create life. It's what he does. The Psalms tell us we are fearfully and wonderfully made. While Boaz and Ruth did their part to get married and enjoy sex in the proper confines of that marriage, God, God is the one credited with giving conception, isn't he? This is just one example of how God's sovereignty and human responsibility are compatible. They go together. They don't fight against each other. They go together. They are compatible. They perfectly and mysteriously align to bring about what God has planned beforehand. And we see here that Ruth and Boaz benefit from that plan as they are blessed with a child. God creates life. It's our first moment of truth at the end of Ruth. Our second, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Look again at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. The book of Ruth could easily be viewed as the most vivacious prayer journal. Because all throughout it, we see prayer answered. Prayer after prayer after prayer is answered. Remember in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi prays for Ruth that she would find rest in the household of a husband. Prayer answered. Boaz prayed that the Lord would repay Ruth's kindness that she showed to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And as she sheltered under the wings of the God of Israel. Prayer answered. 
Naomi prayed that the Lord would bless Boaz for showing kindness to Ruth. Prayer answered. Boaz again prayed for Ruth that she would be blessed for showing kindness to him by asking him to marry her. Prayer answered. The elders prayed that the Lord would give Ruth children with Boaz in such a way that Boaz would be renowned in Bethlehem and their family line would be strong. Prayer answered. And then we come to Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, where the women of Bethlehem praise the Lord for answers to prayer. And right alongside it is another prayer. <laughs> In the same breath, even, is a prayer that God would make this child, make his name renowned in Israel, that it would, he would exceed, his, his name's renown would exceed that of his father, Boaz, not just Bethlehem. Let all of Israel know this child's name. And you know what? God's going to answer that prayer as well. What an encouragement that the Lord answers the requests of his people. God answered every prayer uttered in the book of Ruth. But what do you notice? There's a pattern. Let's take a step back and appreciate how... God is sovereign over our prayers. So what is the pattern? Well, the first part of the pattern is that the prayer was addressed to Yahweh. Every prayer brings out the name of God. I am who I am. When Moses said, who should I say is sending me to the people of God? He says, I am who I am. And so that name is carried all throughout the Old Testament as Yahweh. And every one of these prayers, bring that name out. Calling on that same God to bless. And that's the second part of the pattern. The prayer was a request for blessing. That it's asking God to do what he's delighted to do. And that's bless his people that he has covenanted with. That he has promised himself to. And so they, they call on that blessing. And they don't just call on that blessing for themselves. No, actually, they, the third part of the pattern is the prayer was for another person. Every one of those prayers was for another person, not the person praying. We aren't left wondering how we communicate effectively to the God of the universe. And how we let our requests be known to Him. We need to compare our prayers to those in the book of Ruth. What do our prayers look like? Do they match this pattern at all? Are our prayers directed to God as He revealed Himself to us through His Word? Or are we praying to our idea of God? Are we praying for God to do something that he is delighted to do? Or oddly enough, are we praying and asking God to do something that actually goes against his character? Something that he cannot do. 
because he is holy. Are we praying selflessly as we ask God to move in this world? I'm not saying that this is the only way God answers prayer. So please don't hear that. But it is remarkable that he answers prayer consistently according to this pattern all throughout the book of Ruth. So we'd be foolish not to not to try it, to see it fleshed out in our ministry as we pray to the God of the Bible that he would bless us as we pray for each other, not just ourselves. This is precisely why we delve into each other's lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that we would gossip or slander, but that we would pray. Pray to the God who is delighted to hear, answer, and bless his people, the prayers of his people. That's our second moment of truth at the end of Ruth. Our third, God honors love. God honors love. Look at verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. I appreciate that these women note the love of Ruth in this verse because it shows you how the community has grown around this love story that's taken place in Bethlehem. When Naomi and Ruth walked into town before the barley harvest, as they returned to Moab, no one took notice of Ruth. And if they did, it wasn't in a positive light and it wasn't out loud. No, they only mentioned Naomi. And Naomi is embarrassed to bring this foreign woman along. Even if she is her daughter-in-law. Because Ruth is a reminder of her rebellion. That she sought bread outside the house of bread that she sought fulfillment outside the will of God. She's a reminder. Ruth is proof of her faithlessness. And upon her return, the community treats Ruth like an eyesore. All the while, God will bring about redemption through her. Fast forward a whole season of barley harvest and the town absolutely loves her. (laughs) Why? Because she loves Naomi. She's committed to Naomi. She works hard to provide for Naomi. Boaz notes that she loves Naomi and how she works for her good. And that that is something that he admires about her as he blesses her with food. He tells her 
that his fellow townsmen know her to be a worthy woman. The elders of the town want to see her succeed in becoming a mother. And now the women of the town note that we've seen what we've seen in Ruth since the very beginning. Ruth loves Naomi. And God has honored that love. God loves to honor love that points people back to him as the source. God loves to honor love that points people back to him as the source. Why do we love the way that we do? As new covenant believers, why do we love the way that we do? Is it not because of 1 John 4, 19? We love because he first loved us. Praise God. And God honors that love. He honors that love in such a way that people have to take notice. They have to. They can't avoid it. They can't comprehend it. They're trying to make sense of it. Where does this love come from? Jesus taught his disciples in John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, this love, All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do people know you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ for how loving you are? Do people know you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and how you love them? I think all of us would say, I fall remarkably short of that expectation. That as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I don't always live that out. To my shame. And that's where God's grace meets us. Not just to save us for where we've fallen short, but to empower us to live the expectation he has for us. If people don't know you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ with how you love, God's power has saved you and empowered you so that you can live this out. More and more each and every day as you become more like Jesus. After all, he said, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. So even now, would you just think about what does that mean for you to exhibit love to each other and to this crooked and twisted generation? Because God honors love. Fourth moment of truth at the end of Ruth, and possibly my favorite. 
God inspires joy. God inspires joy. Let's look at verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Let's put ourselves on the front porch of that Bethlehem home. Let's, let's pull ourselves up a good old Cracker Barrel rocking chair next to Naomi. Picture this bitter woman who has longed to be a grandmother for well over a decade and just feel the sorrow she's felt after losing a husband and two sons. Feel the despair she's felt over the reality that she is the end of her family line. Now watch as Ruth hands her her newborn baby, Naomi's grandson. And as Naomi comes face to face with this beautiful miracle that redeems all those feelings. And what do you see on her face? Joy. Joy. Then Naomi took the child laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Glory to God, Naomi has a grandchild that wipes away every tear, erases every sorrow, and shows her her future. Verse 15 calls him a redeemer and a restorer. Verse 17 calls him Naomi's son. And Naomi will get to raise this boy with joy because she will watch as that miracle grows to be a young man and continues her family line. It shows you the intimate moment that the God of the universe is sovereign over that he is just as intricately involved in that sweet moment of inspiring joy in Naomi for the first time in a long time as he is over the entire redemptive plan to restore all creation back to himself. It's a sweet moment, a moment of truth at the end of Ruth. But finally, we have our fifth moment of truth. We serve God. We serve God. Look at verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I find it absolutely fascinating that a whole community of women get to name a child. <laughs> Normally, the parents would, right? But this is the sole 
example in scripture that we have of a community of people getting to name a child. We can only speculate as to why the women of the neighborhood get to do the naming of the boy. Um, It could have been due to some confusion with this whole redeemer concept, right? That if Obed is continuing Elimelech's line, then isn't he Naomi's to name? But he was produced by Ruth and Boaz, and so shouldn't they have some say in his name? I like to think, and this is just holy imagination, I like to think that the women intervened (laughs) and named him because of how dramatic Naomi can be with names. (laughs) It's like they almost like, we got to save this child from being named something uh, crazy. Because remember that time Naomi wanted us to call her Mara? We don't really know. (laughs) We don't know why they are the ones to name Obed. But we do know that the women named him Obed. And just like any other name, that name means something. Obed, Obed's name means servant, servant. And Obed, in having that name, he served more than one purpose. The immediate context tells us that he served Naomi. He served her by assuring her family's survival and providing food for her. But more than this, he served an even greater purpose because the rest of the verse goes on. The text tells us that Obed is the grandfather of King David. And this has rich significance, doesn't it? Remember what the blind beggar called out to Jesus. The blind beggar is sitting on the side of the road just outside of Jericho. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by as he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people try to silence him. He cries out even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops what he's doing. He hears the voice. He says, bring that man to me. So he draws in close. Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want? What do you want? Let's pause there. If Jesus asked you that, what would you say? For him, it was very simple. For us, it may not be. What do you want? He says he wants his sight. We can understand that. So Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. What was the substance of his faith? That Jesus was the son of David. Do you see it? That Jesus is the long-awaited king, the Messiah, who was to come from the line of David. That he had the power to give him back his sight. 
you may think that Jesus served the blind beggar, and you would be right. But the blind beggar also served a purpose. The text goes on, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God, and not just him, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The blind beggar served his purpose to make much of God. Obed served his purpose to make much of God. You and I, we serve our purpose to make much of God. Why? Because he is worthy to be made much of. Which brings us to our main point. Every moment. Every moment is a moment of truth that connects to God's sovereign plan for redemption. Every moment. Every moment in your life Somehow, some way, it connects to God's overarching sovereign plan for redemption. God is just as sovereign over the marriage bed as he is the rest of the home. He is just as sovereign over the community where that home resides as he is what is recorded as happening in that community over time. He is sovereign from generation to generation, bringing about exactly what would please him. And what pleases God the Father is the glorification of his Son to our benefit. That it is good that God is for God because we are the beneficiaries of that love within the Trinity. God and his perfect plan, his perfect sovereign plan, God is glorified and we are redeemed. That's the beautiful scope of God's sovereignty. You likely know one of the greatest verses in all of scripture, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose, our good, not the other way around. Not our purpose for God's good. God's purpose for our good. What things? All things. All things. Every moment of your life is a moment of truth that connects to God's sovereign plan for redemption. The events of the book of Ruth aligned perfectly with God's sovereign will to bring about redemption for all mankind. That's the significance of this love story. God's sovereign will perfectly 
took in the bits and pieces of Ruth's story and said, I'm going to use that for the good of all mankind. And I say all mankind because of who Ruth is. Ruth is a Moabite. It's repeated all throughout this book. Ruth is not one of the people of God. She's a foreigner. And yet, God draws this foreigner to himself as he's pleased to do so. And Ruth's not alone. Throughout the lineage of Jesus, we see Tamar, we see Rahab, and we see Ruth. All three foreign women who none of them lay claim to God. And yet they receive God as their own God. As Ruth uttered to Naomi, your God will be my God. That's what God's power does. People who had no claim to God become God's people. As it is said in Romans 1:16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Part of God's plan of redemption was never just the people of Israel. Don't get it twisted. All throughout Scripture, you see these little instances of, of God just revealing people in on the plan. Hey, it's more than just you. You're to be a, a royal priesthood, Israel, for the benefit of the whole world. Israel didn't get it. They missed out on it. And so Gentiles are grafted in. And we get to be the people of God as well. It's always been a part of God's plan to our benefit. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ for our redemption, this is so neat. The story of Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi is actually part of our story. And our stories contribute to the greatest love story ever told. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You, me, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, Obed, we are all loved. We're all loved. And we all serve a purpose to the praise of God's glorious name. So here's the real moment of truth at the end of Ruth. Will you praise our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ?